Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, let's, uh, I don't want to take that text away. It's great to be allowed to do this last <coughs> service of the, uh, the, the, the old year as we begin this new week with a, a new year. And what I want to talk about is how to have a happy new year. But there are certain things that would stop you having a happy new year. Have you ever seen that program 101? Some of you have seen it? Well, it's taken from um, George Orwell's book, 1984. And the things that you find, you find most fearful and obnoxious and your, your, your phobias, they're in that, in that room. And in this television program, if you've seen it, you, you're allowed to put the things in that you like to be rid of. Well, I would contest that there are times when, and dare I say this in a Christian context, that things that you would perhaps like to get rid of are other people. Because, sorry, sorry, Peter, sorry, Peter. But, you know, if, because actually there is in each one of us well, there is in me, and the person next to you, a competitive spirit that we compare. We compare, don't we? You know, for instance, have you got those round robin letters at Christmas? Have you ever read them? Oh, no, no, sorry about that. <laughs> but you know, your children are struggling. You know, they just got two GCSEs. Their children have been straight into Oxford, no problem. Their children, for their year out, have canoed down the Grand Canyon, have have sailed down El Capitan. They've been fantastic. And their holidays, you think about their holidays. They went to Mustique, and then later in the year they're going to the Caribbean again, and you went to Clacton. (laughs) But you know, you think, oh dear, dear. And you just long that the postman will keep them to himself, but he doesn't. But seriously, the, the things that threaten us are the things that pertain to our life. Seriously. Whether it's at work, people who get preferred, people who are more amiable and people seem to get on and they like more and they get promoted and, and all the rest of it. Or else in sport, you know, they're always taller, bigger, faster, quicker and you, you do your best, but you don't get selected. And it's true in the church, isn't it, as well, you know? You do all the right stuff, and yet the church down the road, their theology's rubbish, but they're growing like Topsy. And they just, you know, they baptize so many people, and they think, goodness me, it's not fair. But the, seriously, the problem is other people. Now back to the text. Well, it's about this man, John the Baptist. Let's look at this text. John the Baptist arrives on the scene. Who is he? Well, Jesus says he is the greatest man that ever lived. And that Jesus is without fault, never made an error. And he, he, Jesus would know all about Aristotle and Plato, and yet he says that this man is the greatest man that ever lived. Why? Because he is announcing the greatest thing that the Creator God will ever do on this planet. And this man has been appointed, this man John, strange man, to do this. And John gets the full weight of that. And he prepares his life for this. And then one day, John starts preaching down the Jordan. Some of you have been to the Jordan. 
It's a bit like a valley. Well, I was going to say like the valley that Wickham's in. It's not really at all like that. But you've been to the Jordan, some of you. And John starts preaching, and thousands come to him. Thousands. You can see them streaming down from the, from the west, from Jerusalem, and down from the, the hills of Gilead, coming down, and they just come thousands. And John's preaching, and John is saying, this is a new day. God is going to do something. This land is under the condemnation of God. God is going to deal with this land. Therefore, you must get your life together. And there's a sort of sense that God is with him. And the people know that. And people just flock to him. And he says, look, you have to change individually. You've got to change. You've got to repent. And, that, and you work that out. And you've got to be baptized in this river. And thousands are. It's just there's a move of God. As never the, nothing has happened like this for 400 years. There's never been a prophet like this for at least 400 years. And nobody's been like John. And it's amazing. And so many come, and, um, and a lot of young men, as it were, attach themselves to him. And they're thinking to themselves, we are the cutting edge. We are the, the best thing that's ever been. You know, we've heard God, the living God. And uh, they're excited. Not like these people in Jerusalem, these wastrels, these nominal people in Jerusalem, or these weird people down in Qumran, you know, the Essenes. No, no, this is the real thing. We've heard God, and there's an authenticity about it. And then, and there are thousands, and then one day, they look round and, where is everybody? Well, the, the, the loyal few are there, the, the men, the disciples so-called are there, but where are the people, where are they all gone? Well, they've gone upstream to a man who's preaching, whose name is Jesus. And the disciples come to John and look, they say, you know, everyone is going to him. I mean, this man does miracles. John did no miracles. And there's a jealousy comes in. We were the best thing. What is going on? Do we have to go? John, what do you think? I mean, they haven't even the grace to mention his name, the man who was with you. They haven't even the grace to mention his name. And John, John says, come here. John says, I'm just delighted. I am thrilled. I'm just thrilled. And John is saying, didn't you hear what I say, I've been saying for the last few weeks and months? This is the one. This is the one I testified about. This is the man. I baptize you in this dirty river for repentance, which was right and proper. This man will baptize you, will fill you with the spirit of the creator, living God. He will dunk you, will immerse you in God. I can't do that. You see, this man also, he's come to judge Israel. And John said, it's like at harvest time when a, a man gets his winnowing fork and separates the chaff and the wheat. Jesus is coming now to Israel and he will separate the wheat and the chaff. He'll bring judgment to this land. And... Um, but not only that, John says, you know, I just wet you. I can't, I, can't, I can't change you. But this man, he's the lamb that will take away all your sin. He's the one person. I, 
I can't do that. I can get, yeah, I can get you wet. But he will, he will put you right with God in a new way. He will, he's the lamb that all the Old, sac, Old Testament sacrifices point to. He is the lamb. He's the, the real thing that will take away all your guilt and your sin and condemnation. This is the one we've been looking for for years. Now, let me just stop at that. And this is what I believe God would say to us. It's all to do with listening. It's all to do with listening. John said, we not listen. Do you not hear? Our first problem in life, well, not in life, but as we go on, is that we don't listen. We, we, uh, listening is an active discipline. And um, it's pride, isn't it? We've heard it. We know it. We've done it. I went to a restaurant once in a friend of mine in America. It was as big as this, seriously. It was a pizza restaurant. There was a, a Wurlitzer playing in the middle, and this lady was playing, and it was huge. And then we went with my friend George, and, and we ordered, and we got a number. And then, and then they kept shouting at numbers, and this child was shouting at 42, you see. And George and I were solving the world's problems, and then, it was, and, you know, and the church, then the church's problems, and, you know. 42, and I said, George, what is your number? I said, I don't, he said, I don't know, but it's, it'll come up. <laughs> and he says, it's 42. And after half an hour, I said, George, I, just go and check at the, you know, what your number is. And of course he said, oh, blow, blow, he says. 42, 42, you see. Now we'd heard it, but it's not for us. And it, it's so easy to hear things. Now I say this, because, and this is to you, this is this may be the only thing you hear this morning. You have to listen. I don't care how old you are. You have to listen, not just to sermons. God can speak to you all the time. I look back at one of my school reports at 10, and I, I, I read it. And if, if, if there was a word of God, I wasn't a Christian, it was that. I thought, if I'd only done that, but I, we, we laughed at it, we thought, we thought it was wrong. We're not wrong, we just thought it was off the wall. But it was what the teacher said was absolutely right. But I have friends, and, and men and leaders are the worst. Excuse me, Neil, you want my notes saying that? <laughs> but seriously, we know it. We've heard it, we've been there, we've worn the t shirt, you know? Seriously. And we stop listening. And I'll tell you this, men and women, you will stop growing as human beings when you stop listening. I'm not just talking about Sundays. God speaks all the time. Not even from his, not just from his word. He speaks every day from his word. But actually speaks to us. My sheep, hear my voice. And that's, you know, and be open to any, it could be anybody. A child could speak. And say, you have to hear. Um, your greatest enemy is, well, we've been there. We know it. We, we've done it. We, you know, we're some, some years old. <laughs> you know. The problem is, to put it mildly, we get stuck in the second best. And God has new things for you. God has things he wants to do in your life, at your work, at your office, at your school, that you have to be humble enough to hear what God wants to lead you. The trouble is we, we, we become defensive and we fossilize and, and we, don't, we don't go on. Because God wants us to be good listeners. And... Um, Jesus has better things for you and me in this year to come, right? All of us. But anyway, John says, look, he says, let me just tell you, just let's get this in perspective. Let me tell you what I am. 
He says, look what he says. I'm just a forerunner. I'm just a herald. I'm just an announcer. I'm, I'm just a messenger boy. He is, the, he is the real thing. He's the real show. Jesus is not a threat to me at all, he's saying. And this is what every one of you need in this room. What every one of you need can only be met by Jesus Christ. In whatever sphere of your life, Jesus Christ is the one person who can help you through it. And John says, Look, I'm just a voice calling in the desert. Make straight the path of the Lord. John says, if anyone should feel jealous or envious, it should be me. I mean, huge crowds have come. You imagine thousands. It was the great attraction in Israel was John the Baptist and there's just a handful of men. John says, if anyone should feel threatened, it should be me. But he says, look, and he goes on. He, look what he says, verse 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend, or we would say the best man, who attends the bridegroom, waits and listens for him. Now, the best man is not like the sort of best man in our weddings, you know, and he seeks to look after the bridegroom, the stag nights, and then he makes some inane speech or some nice speech um, at the wedding. No, no, it's completely different in, in the New Testament times. The friend, the best man, he would procure a proposal from the bride's family. He would be he would responsible for the dowry. He would be responsible for setting up the wedding reception. He would most of all be responsible for caring for the bride, making all the other all the all the fellows offer, protecting her. That's what it's about. He would guard her. He would guard the bridal chamber, no messing about. And uh, he was in charge of the whole wedding reception. And then on the day when the bridegroom came and says. I'm here, you're all right. John says, my, my joy is complete. My job is done. You know, my job is done. And when I see the bride and the bridegroom together, I am delighted. My job is done. I just want to get out the picture. And um, you see, one of the saddest things in the New Testament is that the followers of John kept meeting, looking acts. They kept meeting together as disciples of John. They never joined the church of Jesus Christ. That's a sad thing. Well, we're the best thing. We were the great move of God. Very often, those of us who part the last move of God are the enemies of the next move of God. And we have to be very careful. God is always doing new things, different things. Strange things that we, well, not like the good old days. Well, there may be good new days, believe it or not. And John says, look, anything good we have has been of God. Look what he says in verse 27. To this John replied, a man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. You know, some of us in this room, and there are some church leaders here, and we've, from other churches, you know, we've seen great blessings over the last 40, 50 years. That's true, isn't it? We've seen great blessings. And we've looked back and said, well, that was just amazing, haven't we? But you look back and you know one thing? If it was good, it was from God. It was nothing to do with you or me. If you're forgiven, not because you're a good chap, it's because God is good. 
You've been blessed at work. If you're, if you're sensitive enough, you'll realize that was God. John says, everything we have in life that's good is a gift of God. Receive it and believe it, he says, look. You see, we're here to live for him. And we lose sight of that. Our task is to magnify Christ and to live for his glory and honor. It's, it's getting, as we sang in these songs, it's getting to know the greatness of Christ. Christianity is not, well, become a Christian. It's very good for you. Work. You can network in the church. Or else you can become prosperous. Or you can become healthy. All these things may accrue. But actually, we are here for one thing, for the glory of God and the honor of Jesus. I've told you before, one of the great preachers in Sri Lanka, a great man called D.T. Niles, is in this great art gallery. And he says he's in the, like the National Gallery. And he's there. And he sees a man looking intensely at this picture. Wonderful picture. And D.T. Niles goes up and looks, and he sees the man is not looking at the picture. The man is combing his hair in the reflection. <laughs> now, we can do that. We can use Christianity. We can use the church. We can use all this stuff to bring honor to ourselves. And you'll miss it by a million miles. Well, why should we follow Jesus, John? John, why should we follow Jesus? We'll look, if we follow it in the end of this chapter, he says, look, because of who he is, just first of all, look at his origin. He said, first of all, he says, verse 31, this man is from God. The one who comes from above is above all. John says, I just came from a little Galilean, no, a Judean town. This man comes from above. He is pre-existent. He, he was never created. He's always been there. He lived in harmony and joy with the Father from all eternity. He comes from above and he's from above. He's pre-existent. He didn't just start at Bethlehem. It was when the Spirit of, of God united with us. The, the egg, as it were, of Mary and man and God were united in this perfect person who is Jesus. In that virgin birth. No, he comes from above. He is above all. He is the uncreated son of God. And God has, he is above all, says John. And God has placed everything under his feet. And God has made him head over this planet, as it were. But as God has made him head for the church. That's what he says. And he is Infinitely different. I was at a church not long ago, last week, and uh, the preacher said, God's just like one of us. And I felt like saying, no, he isn't sunshine. But that wasn't the word I used. <laughs> He's infinitely different. He is glorious. We sang he is magnificent. I don't know what that means, but he's wonderful. And God is infinitely different. We are from earth. We are sinful John says he is from God. He is, he is from heaven. He is sinless. He is from God. But then he goes on. He says he's not only from God. He is full of God. Look what he says in verse 34. For whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without, to him without limit. John says, I have preached and known the assistance of the Spirit. You know, I felt the wind behind me. Occasionally, a touch of God. This man is full of God all the time. This is Son of God on earth. And um, 
And, and God mediates his truth through this man. Through this man. John says, you know, I've, I've studied the word and I've, I've done that. But this man is the word, as it were. And from all eternity, this man has been in the presence of the eternal Father and the Spirit, conversing and listening and enjoying each other's personhood. And then he goes on, he says, you see, he speaks the words, the actual words of God. John is saying, look, I preach and my message is, is secondhand, really. But this man speaks, he testifies to what he has seen. He's not talking about anything he's seen on earth. He has seen what it means to be in the very presence of the living God. <laughs> he doesn't have to be taught. He knows what the Father knows. When he speaks, God speaks. And then he says, look, he says, when you accept Jesus as Lord, you affirm that God is true. If you say that, God, that Jesus is not the Son of God, you make God to be a liar, he says. But if you say he is the Son of God, you, you agree with God. Because God, remember, is going to come to it in a few, in a, in a few pages, as it were, in a few days. When Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by John. Well, he has been baptized by Jordan. You remember what he said? This is my son, whom I love. If you say it's not his son, you make God to be a liar. And then later on, on that Mount of Transfiguration, when, God, when Jesus is transfigured, God will say the same thing. Here is my son. Listen to him. John says, you know... I just get snatches, as it were, from God as I work, pray. This man has been in the presence of God from all eternity. Don't, if you say Jesus is not the Son of God, you make God to be a liar. You say God is not true. Now, I know in our multicultural society, it's very intolerant. But who said Christianity to do with tolerance in that sense? Now, there's a, a uniqueness about it. And then finally says this. Verse 35, the, the son, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. He is the son. I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice, a forerunner, a, a messenger, an announcer. But um, he, he is the living God. He is the only hope for all of us, for all of, uh, in, in the universe. And um, you see, God says, I've made this universe and I've given it to my son. As he says to Colossians, all things were made for him. It's all for Jesus. He's made it all for Jesus, this planet. And I'm making a people of power, a people of prayer, says God. I'm making this people for Jesus. We are Jesus people. And they're all for him. And so then, the final thing he says, therefore, what we do with Jesus is the most important decision we make in life. If Jesus is God, logically, our reaction to him will determine our eternal destiny. Let me read it. Kathy read it to us. Verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We are under the wrath of God. Jesus says that himself later in John. We are already under John's, 
under God's condemnation because we, we're out of sync with God. We do our own thing. We're selfish. We don't keep the law. This planet is a mess. There's chaos and wars and strife. And each one of us are selfish. And God will punish this. His holiness cannot bear this transgression, this forsaking of his standards and laws. But the good news is this. God wants the best for us. And God has done something incredible. (laughs) He has sent his son to come and live and die for us. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Just to remind us to get things central again. And he's come and done this. And, uh, and as we give our lives to Christ, we're delivered from this wrath. In fact, we come in the, in the place of great, incredible blessing. We're favored people. It all depends, my friends, on what you do with Jesus Christ. That's what John says. John said it's not arbitrary. That is why John says, I make a big thing of Jesus Christ. Because he's come to rescue us, to sort us out, to make this life meaningful and to put us right with God. And John says, that's why I live. To point people to Jesus. And um, I've heard the bridegroom's voice. And that's what it's about. And he says this, and this is out of the verse for the new year. If you want to have a happy new year. He must become greater and I must become less. That is the secret. That is the secret of fruitfulness. Less of self. Standing up for yourself and looking after self and protecting self and all that stuff. No, no. We live for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. This is what it's about. We're not here to build up our reputation. We're not here to build up our name and our ministry. No, no. In a strange way, we have to die to ourselves. But the paradox is, if we die to ourselves, as we embrace obscurity, God gives us, we, be, we start to, to find life. As we become servants and serve others, we start to actually reign in life. We start winning life. It's a strange thing. It's upside down, it seems. But it's the right way up, really, because that's the way the Lord went. And Paul says, have this same mind in you that was in Christ who chose to be a man, who chose to be a servant, who chose death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him. Now let me finish by saying this. We just have to believe. Do you believe it? Well, in principle. But I'm not so sure. Why... Are we so touchy? Why are we Christians so sensitive? Why are we so selfish? Why are we so concerned about what others think? Why is what others think about so important? Why is what others think about our house or our property or our job? Why is it so important? Why do we seek the approval of others when we've said all these great things, we're living for God's glory? Because, and I speak to myself this, I've been through this several times myself. (laughs) Because actually, we've only got it here. We've only got it here. Oh, we've ticked the boxes. 
Tim Keller used the illustration. It's like we used to have a Coca-Cola machine out there, you remember? You got a can of Coke, you put your pound in wherever you got a Coke, right? Or a Fanta or whatever you wanted. And he puts his money in, jing, and nothing drops. Oh, blow. And uh, so what did he used to do? Because you want a can of Coke, or Diet Coke, if you're that way inclined. He used to pound it. He said, we pound the side of it. And eventually, choom, got it. And that's what it's about, my friends. Oh, we believe, especially as preachers, believe it. But do we? Do we? It's all here. I've prayed the prayer. I've been baptized. I've had religious experiences. But actually, why do I believe in full of fear and anxiety and wondering why you think or you approve or you... Because it's still here. It's not here. And I say, and this is what God is saying to us. God has to pound us by His Spirit in 2016. He has to pound us and pound us with the Spirit and with Himself and with circumstances so it drops and we get it. You know, the world, the world knows that. The world knows we haven't got it. The world can spot it. They want a sign. They want a Coke. And they want to see it in you. And we say, Lord, pound me, whatever it takes. And that's where I pray. That God will do that to you and to me. That this year, not just the 21st year of this building, but God will pound us with his spirit. God will so arrange circumstances so that it will drop into our hearts. God, God died for me. God came for me. God, well, I won't go through the sermon again. <laughs> that's it, isn't it? And you know, the strange thing is when it happens in a church... Or even when it happens in a town, it's called revival. And we all get it together. And the world thinks we're mad, but the world wants what we've got. We have to be a sign to the people, not just a building. I have to be a sign. I have to pray, Lord, and I speak as much to myself, God will pound us. God will deal with us. And God will come. And it's all about him. And the world will see a change. You're not obsessed by shopping or work or or money or prestige or this or that or fashion. No, you're obsessed by the glory and the wonder of the living God. And the world will see it. (laughs) Now, all these things are legitimate and I'm not against them. But Christians, we have a higher calling, don't we? We have a higher calling. And this is our calling, to be lights in a dark place. And this is our calling. It's not just coming on Sunday and kissing Jesus. You know, Judas kissed Jesus. Jesus doesn't want that. He wants us to come and bow the knee. Not just in the Psalms, but every day. And say, we say, come on, Lord. And John says, if you want to happy new, and I guarantee this, my friends, or money back. If you pray every day, you must become greater and I will become less. I will die to self and live for your glory. I will choose to be a servant of a people who don't deserve, deserve it. I will go whatever you say. I guaranteed, I guarantee you will have the happiest, happiest new year you can imagine. John says this, he must become greater and I must become less. That 
is the secret of a happy new year. Let's be quiet. Let's pray together.